question I want us to uh, look at this morning is, uh, so why uh, pray? And uh, you can see the first point I've got there is because it's God's blueprint for his church. Can I just say what um, I said a little bit earlier uh, this week? That, guys, this is for us. It's, it's not for those who do prayer. Uh, it's for all of us. I, I, we know that all of us pray, uh, even those who don't believe in God pray. Uh, there are times when uh, if people feel that's all they can, they can do. And one of my favorite prayers is of a boy who came out of a geography uh, exam and says, please God, make Madrid capital of France. And um, <laughs> uh, we, we all relate to that kind of prayer. Um, uh, but, but why do we pray? Uh, because it is God's blueprint for his church. And I just want to acknowledge, you know, as, as your leader here at Lisbon Baptist Church, that we don't incorporate prayer enough within the, uh, our Sunday morning worship. Uh, I, uh, we, will try, we will try and change that uh, because it's so important. And I know we want to be relevant and whatever, and I understand that we're experimenting with cafe church and whatever, but actually... I, I genuinely believe that what the people in our community need to experience are people who get prayer, people who do prayer, and people who live in prayer. I think there's, that's only, it's only something that the church can offer. Uh, and so for us as a, um, as a church, it's important that we are people who are soaked in prayer. I love this verse from Isaiah 56. It says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Is that, I think it's the next, next slide actually, Graham. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But, but you know what I, what I love about that verse especially is who it's for. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Do you know in a, in a sense what, what, what he's saying there is that it's actually not for us. It's actually for the well-being of society. And uh, if anybody here is worried about our society, I know all of us are, uh, then the greatest thing that we can do for them is to pray. And of course, the other thing that would be great for us is that when we rock up on our front lines that they see something of Christ. They see something of the beauty of Jesus and how the world desperately needs salt and light. It's a, would you agree it's a dark world? If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you are a pinprick of light in your front line. See, we will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what God has got for us. That's, you'll have seen the program Grand Designs, and they start off with some sort of architects. Is that how it be? God says that? That's what it is. I want you to start. It's going to be House of Prayer. Um, the second is um, the second reason uh, why we pray is because we follow Jesus' example. Um, if you look at the life of Jesus, it's striking just how important prayer is. To him. Have a look at Mark chapter 1. Again, should be on the screen. Very early in the morning, while, he was, uh, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you, and here you are praying. Everybody wants you. Have a look at this next line. I hope you agree with it. Prayer was more important to Jesus than other people's expectations. Prayer was more important to Jesus than other people's expectations. Everyone is looking for you. Don't you realize you have responsibilities? 
we're in a part of town where some of you have significant responsibilities. I'm going to suggest that yours are perhaps a tad lower than Jesus. His mission has come in to be the saviour of the world, and yet his priority was prayer. Prayer was more important to Jesus than other people's expectations. Let's have a look at another example. In Luke chapter 5, 15 to 16, Now the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. Now, I tell you what, I would love for our church to be a center where people send their sick people. Because they knew that God was moving here and that people got healed. Because I believe in wonders and signs and miracles. I believe that accompanies faithful preaching of God's word. We don't see anywhere near enough of it. I'm not sure what that says about me. I don't know what it says about us. But how long to see that? Well, it, it happened with Jesus. Vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But have a look at verse 16. But he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And have a look at this. I don't know what you think of this. Prayer was more important to Jesus than popularity. Or even what we would term ministry. People were coming to him in need and he'd just leave them. He'd just keep coming and he, and he would leave. Well, that's not very caring. That's how central prayer was to him. Uh, people misunderstood him. He was not bothered about popularity. Uh, in terms of ministry and all the signs and wonders, he could walk away from it to actually spend time alone with his father. We'll see a little bit why uh, in, in a moment. Prayer was more important to Jesus than popularity or even what we would term ministry. Just one last example. In Luke chapter 6, 12 to 13, uh, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. I smiled about this one because I know we've got this 24-hour prayer coming up and that appeal from John and saying, please, I don't want to be the only one up between 12 midnight and 6 in the morning. There's a challenge for us there, isn't it? Because Jesus did it. And I'm sure he did it more than once. Spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. And I'm suggesting there that prayer was more important to Jesus than sleep. Anybody here like sleep? <laughs> Anybody here sleeping right now? Ah, um, oh dear me. It's a, it's a toughie, isn't it? Uh, but can I, we've got a very practical thing this, this week where we've got this 24 hour, sign up for it. Uh, we're not asking you to stay up all night like Jesus did. If you want to do that, oh, you know, hands off to you if you're able to do that. If we could give half an hour, if we could give an hour, if we could give two hours. Why did Jesus, this is the next question I want to ask, is why did Jesus spend so much of his time in prayer? Why would any sane human being give up a night's sleep and just spend time talking to God? Why would anybody do that? Well, I, I've got uh, a few reasons here. The first one is because he loved his dad. He loved his father. You spend time with those you love, don't you? I, I don't care how busy you are, okay, and we all have got busy lives. 
but you, you make time for people you love. And, and I guess if we don't make time, we've got a question about how great that love is. Jesus had been with his Father and the Holy Spirit from eternity. It's natural to talk to people that you love. Secondly, he knew, and this sounds blasphemous if it wasn't biblical, okay? He knew that he couldn't fulfill the ministry he'd been given on his own. Jesus, second person of the Trinity, completely stuffed on his own. And so he knew that he had to turn to the Father and he had to turn to the Spirit and say, unless you show up, nothing's going to happen. That sounds blasphemous, but it's true. He was absolutely dependent on his Father and on the Spirit. Now this relates to what he taught. Have a look at uh, uh, John chapter 12 with me. I don't speak on my own authority. This is Jesus speaking. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. I've turned to him in prayer because unless I hear from him, I don't know what to say to you. I'm turning up for orders. What is it you want me to say to them, Father? It's Jesus. Verse 50, and I know his commands lead to eternal life, so I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Isn't that powerful? Do you find that powerful? I find that hugely powerful. So he was dependent totally on his Father and the Spirit for what he would say, but also for what he would do. In John chapter 5, verse 19, and also John 10, 25, 39, uh, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do how much by himself? How much can he do? Note, absolutely nothing. Do you find that odd? You know, the second person of the Trinity can do nothing. That's what he said. Listen to what he had to say about his miracles. John 10, 25, 39. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. It's all about him and the authority that he has given me. But you don't believe. He goes on to say, I have shown you many great miracles. Where they come from? They come from his dad. They come from the father. They come from the one who he had spent eternity with. Not one miracle Jesus performed was done in his strength or by his power. It was the work of the triune God in harmony. And of course it's true of us. Have a look at this next verse. John 15, 5. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Jesus said the same words about he could do nothing. And he says, of course, of us, we can do nothing apart from abiding in him and being infilled by the Holy Spirit. And so there needs to be that desperation in us in recognizing that unless he shows up, nothing happens. I, I, there are times you can't create desperate. Can you? I, like, I must be honest, I want Wales to win at rugby. Okay? But I can't create desperate. Maybe after six seasons about being beaten by the English, perhaps we will get that desperate. Okay? But I tell you where you get desperate. You get desperate when people that you really, really love are in mortal danger. You don't have to go on courses for desperate. You just are desperate. There have been one or two occasions in our lives when the desperate button has been pressed. And I, I, want, I want to tell you that my prayer life in those moments was significantly different to how they are normally. Did you get, did you get that? The huge problem for us in the wealthy West is when, when are we desperate? We are so, I'm not blaming us for being comfortable. I love the toys that we have. I tell you, I was using my little power saw yesterday and I, I was rubbing it down afterwards because it got wet. And I'm thinking, oh dear me, my power saw's got wet. You know, I love my power tools. But you know, um, our, my Christian life, your Christian life, is so incredibly affected by the comfort levels that we live amongst. Do you understand that? It's like, we're going to have lunch today, and we're going to have a fantastic lunch. We, we, know, we know that. And, and most days at home, you know, we have some lovely food and whatever. There are parts of the world that would just give whatever to have a fraction of what we have. And what does that make them? That makes them desperate in their search for food and for water. I take it for granted. I take for granted, I can just turn the tap on, and out comes wonderful council pop, okay? That's what we used to call it when I was a kid. Council pop, okay? Uh, or, uh, I'm not sure if it was Alex who refers it to it as Adam's Ale. I'm not sure who it is. But it's, it's, it's the water that comes up. We just take it for granted. Stu Fletcher has spent a lot of time, actually, out in the Middle East area. I, I've never been in the Middle East. Um, he, he will have seen things out there that uh, you don't see here. You will have seen people there desperate for stuff. I know he was telling me about, you know, this embargo in terms of um, tourists going over. The devastating effect is having on people. They're, they're livelihoods. They're, they're beginning to get desperate because they, they just haven't got money. And, and, and de desperate does something with prayer. Uh, Maggie's going out to um, Africa again. I don't know if you've seen the Facebook thing. She's looking for socks. She's looking for socks. Is that right, Mags? You are. Okay. Looking for socks. Do you know why she's looking for socks? Because the kids in the school that we help to feed, okay, they ain't got socks. <coughs> Let alone shoes. What am, I, what am I trying to say? When you, when you know that you can do nothing, when you really, really know that you can do nothing, you get desperate. <clears throat> Especially when you love somebody. Uh, I, was, um, I, I was reading, I don't know if John Picton's seen this, um, John loves his football, but uh, the chairman of Barnsley. Um, did, did you see this, John? 
Uh, in the programme uh, this, this week, ahead of the match, uh, he, he writes to them, he said, um, I probably won't be with you by the end of the season because he's been told he's got terminal cancer. And what I found so moving uh, in this uh, honest um, sharing of himself, uh, he said, you know, he said, it's strange, isn't it? Um, and and I, I paraphrase. But it's only when you are faced with your own mortality that you realize that you've invested so much in, of your life in things that don't really matter. I thought, wow, that's powerful. And you've got all these football supporters who are going to be reading that. And then do you know what happens? We just get on with our lives. And we keep investing in things which, frankly, in inter internal consequences, don't really matter. And God says, I need you to invest your life in things that are going to last for eternity. It's called the kingdom of God. Your family need it. Your neighbors need it. The people on your front line desperately need for us to desperately get the fact that apart from him we can do nothing. Diddly squat is the theological term for it. And that's why we pray. And that's why so many of you have started up being involved in clusters and praying early in the morning or later in the evening and getting part of prayer quads or prayer triplets. Because unless God shows up, we know there is no hope for this community or for this country. Do you agree with that? We, we are called to pray for our politicians and God bless them. Who would want that gig, eh? And my heart goes out to Theresa May. She must be wondering. I get some interesting phone calls, right? But what kind of phone calls does that woman get? Yeah. But you know, there was a time in our nation when the Prime Minister called the nation to prayer. Why? Because they realized they looked into that lovely crystal ball they've got, okay? And they recognized that they cannot change people's hearts. Only God's Spirit can do that. And so these people who are perpetrating all these awful, awful things. One, I want them arrested. One, I want them locked away. But boy, they need more than that. They need their hearts changed by Jesus. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine what this world would be like if people actually loved people it's of hating and guys look guys we can fall out about all kinds of things okay but we're not the enemy we're not the enemy right okay so if we want to attack each other all we're doing is Satan's work so please stop it some of the I've come back from sabbatical and I've, I've sensed that there's a spirit of grumbling that's grown up you've got to stop it guys all, all you're doing is the enemy's work. You're mourning about one another. Stop it. We need to get desperate and ask God to move and understand who the enemy is. He's called Satan and his dominions and his demons. Our battle is not against flesh and blood and whatever person's face you want to put there. Your battle is not against them. But against spirits, against powers, against authorities in the dark places. And they are moving across our nation, across the world. Anybody scared about what's going on in North Korea? I bet the Japanese are. Two rockets they've had lobbed over them now. I watched a little program about a husband and a wife and their little girl. Did you see that program? 
And they're there, and the siren goes on. It takes 10 minutes, okay, for the rocket to go from North Korea to land where they are. 10 minutes. They said, what does the alarm do? The alarm goes off, like the sirens that we had in the Second World War. Okay, the sirens go off. What do we do? Where do you go in 10 minutes? What do we do? Do we close our eyes and put our hands over our ears and, and just think, I hope I'm going to be okay when the nuclear missile hits us? So all it does is terrify us. I, I'm, look, guys, forgive me. There needs to be a siren going off in our heads. And I don't want that to terrify us or paralyze us, but I, it needs to get us on our knees. One, one of the things that the Lord was saying to us while Sue and I was, were away, he said, I need you to spend more time on your knees in intercession. I, I, I need to say, I love prayer. I, I pray throughout the day. I love, because, well, I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I'm talking with him all the time. I share, I share my excitements with him. I share my fears with him. I share, I share my hopes and aspirations. With him. I talk with him all the time. But there's also a place where we come to him, and corporately, this is an important thing, so we come to him and say, God, unless you show up, we, we, we're stuffed. Unless you move in our nation, across this world, unless you move, it's just going to get darker. And of course, there are some out there, I don't know if you have these prophets of doom, and they say, actually, don't point praying, because we know the world's all going to end in flames anyway, so by praying, all you're doing is slowing that thing down. You bet we're going to slow it down. Why? Because there are people on this planet who need Jesus. Some of them are in my family. I don't want Jesus to come until they are in the kingdom of God safely, and I know where they're going to be for eternity. Have a look at this uh, verse. Um, in, it's John 15, 7, actually. That's it. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. And then also, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is saying, so what I did, you can do. But why? Because it wasn't in my strength that I did it. It was dependent completely on the Father and the Holy Spirit. Who are you dependent on? The Father and the Holy Spirit. So if I could do it, you could do it. But the difference here is that we have to be clean channels. Jesus was a perfectly clean channel, okay? This is why so much worked through him, okay? He was this conduit of love and grace and truth. Now, we're not, we're not like that. We're a whole bunch of complications. We can be holy and sanctified, and we can be so critical and so judgmental, all wrapped up in the same humanity. And so God has to work a way through this, and that's why we have to keep coming to him and saying, Lord, sorry, cleanse the vessel. Make me clean, Lord. And we have this great promise that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and He will. He'll sort us out. Allow us to be that conduit again, that, that, that place where, where freedom and grace and truth can go out. So that we can be a people of healing. A community where people know that there's light here, and they're attracted. Because they'll find grace and forgiveness. And hope, that's what we carry, you see. 
We are carriers of hope in a world that is so dark. We are carriers of freedom where people feel so locked up and enslaved by fears of all kinds of things. I'm only talking to Ellie this week about starting another Freedom in Christ course. Everybody sign up for it. Because all of us need liberating and being made more and more free in Christ. Uh, Time's time's gone, but uh, let me me share. um, Whenever I think about prayer, I always think about the um, fledgling nation of Israel. Um, They were uh, coming out of 400 years of slavery. And God miraculously uses Moses uh, to take them out. (laughs) And what you find interesting, if you look at the narrative, okay, never once does it say that Moses led the people out. It was always God. Because if you really are a true woman of God or a true man of God, it's never about you. It's about him. Why? Because we trust him completely for all our resources. But let me read these verses. They're, fam- they're familiar to you, but they're, they're helpful for us in understanding why this is so critical. In Exodus 17, verse 8 to 13, it says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, let me just explain. The Amalekites came and attacked the Is- Israelite people when they were absolutely on their knees. They were cream cracker. They were so, so tired. Ever get like that? Ever been attacked when you're like that? Uh, you know, it, it hurts. And so the Amalekites came and they attacked the people of Israel when they were so vulnerable. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, you know the story. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he got tired and he lowered it, I don't know if you've ever tried that for a long time. It's exhausting. Um, Anyway. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Think, oh, no pressure, Moses. Could keep your hands up, boy. And when Moses, I, I find this so moving as a leader. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it. Sorry, he sat on it. And what did Aaron and Hur do? They held his hands up. They didn't criticize him for getting tired. They didn't tell him that he should have actually spent a bit more time in the gym so that for moments like this, that he would have been more prepared. There are a hundred and different ways that people will attack you for what you're not. All of us, all of us experience that. May we not be that kind of person. May we be the Aaron and the Hur and says, Hey, you look to be struggling there. Would you like a hand? And we lift one another's hands. Anybody want that? And of course, what you found is that when God's people were doing things in harmony... 
there was a great victory. You see, because there were people out there uh, who were fighting the battle and using their, I was going to say knives and forks, um, uh, their uh, swords and their spears. Later on this year, uh, although our mission is not about just one week, okay, uh, we, we're involved in a mission all the time. On your front line, you're involved in a mission. In the schools every week, we just double up what we're doing in the primary school, in, the, in, in uh, Lisbane Primary School. That's mission going on every week. Time to talk, that's mission, okay? What we're doing with pebbles is mission. Mission's happening all the time within the life of this church. But actually, later on in the year, we've got this great big extravaganza of mission. So we need the people out there doing the stuff, but behind the scenes, we need the people praying. Because it doesn't matter what we do in the schools or through pebbles or through time to talk. Unless we're asking God to move, the victory won't be won. And we do it together. Um, I, I could have taken you to the early church. And the early church was birthed um, at Pentecost, as you know. Um, but for 10 days, for 10 days... 120 of them been in a room and just been praying, praying, praying. Why? Because Jesus told them they're going to do that. So go and pray. So they prayed. And they must have felt like prawns. After day seven, nothing had happened. After day nine, nothing happened. On day ten, day of Pentecost, God moves. And what I like to think about this is that when it says that they were all together, I don't think it's talking about geography. I think it's talking about vision, about purpose about being one with each other. And you see the fruits of that, because actually what happens after the Spirit is poured out, people begin to see the people in need. People are in need before this. But after the Spirit is given, people start to see other people. Why? Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you're not focused on yourself. You're focused on Jesus and the people that God's asked you to bless. Let me finish with uh, that uh, wonderful verse in Matthew chapter 18, which we know where two or three come together, there I am in their midst. Yeah, know it? It's also the most misunderstood verse in the world. It's not about two or three people coming together geographically. It's the same thing. The context of that passage, both people are at each other's throats. And so the coming together is about reconciliation. See, a divided church will never be a growing church. That's why the enemy plays that card all the time. Sows disunity. Reap a harvest of destruction. And let me say again, those of us, okay, and we're all like a mumble and a grumble and whatever, stop it. Stop it. Because all it does is it divides and it pulls down the church. There is a place for honesty in terms of relationships that are going difficult, uh, that are going uh, pear-shaped. But that same chapter, Matthew 18, talks clearly about how you do that, work that through. If you've got a problem with your brother or sister, you go to them. You go to them. You don't go to others and get a pity party around you about how this person's treated you. So when we are in this week of prayer, We've got to do a couple of things. One, we've got to engage in it. Okay? We've got to engage in it. But secondly, we've got to learn what to do with our lips. And I think one of the greatest things that we can do with our lips is pray prayers of confession. Prayers of confession. 
and saying, Lord, give me, Lord, what you want to give me today. Lord, give me that desire, as we heard from Toza earlier, that desire to long, to long for you more. That desire to seek, to seek you more. Oh, guys, I, I hope these aren't just words. I hope they're not something that just bounce off your, if, if you're made of Teflon, that they just go somewhere else. But I hope that for me and for you, that actually they get deep down behind our ribcage and affect the hearts that desperately need to be moved because our nation needs it, our family needs it, our church needs it. We need each other. And we need together to come and seek this God who wants to change the things that we've been talking about. So shall we pray? Lord, we uh, want to acknowledge before you our desperate need of you. Lord, we're all in the same boat here, unless you move, Father. But we also thank you, Father, that you are creating a fire in our hearts to long for you. And Lord, there have been all of us in this room have had periods when we haven't had that fire. And so we would ask, would you give us a longing for that fire? This week, Father, would you please, would you please help us? in our busy schedules, to carve out time for you in prayer. Show us how we can engage uh, in this eight days of prayer. Not so that we can tick a box, Lord, but because we want you to move. We desperately need you to move. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.